Well, good morning to Redemption Church. How are you feeling today? We had a great 9 a.m. service. I'm looking forward to what God's about to do here in the 11 o'clock. So I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Uh, as you can probably tell, uh, Pastor Byron is not here. I am not Pastor Byron. Uh, he is in New York with Ethan. Uh, they are part of the Revo Conference. So there's a, a good friend of ours, Michael Moore. He is the pastor of City Church in upstate New York in Albany. And every year they have a Revo Conference. It's a, where different groups of pastors and preachers and teachers come in and share over the course of the weekend. So that's where Pastor Byron is. That's where Ethan is at. They're going to be home uh, later this evening. So I'm excited that Byron gave me the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see some, some great things in Scripture today. So back in February of this year... We kicked off a series here at Redemption Church called Be Bold, right? It's, it's right there, Be Bold. And we had this campaign for our, for our new building. And Pastor Byron, he, he began teaching and inspiring us to be bold together as a church. You know, that if we want to move into this new building, which, by the way, we're, we're getting a new building here at Redemption. Super exciting, right? We, we decided, you know what, we might as well just go ahead and buy this entire city block because we know that God's going to do some great things here in the city of Beaumont. And so we started this Be Bold campaign where if we want to see every man, woman, and child experience life change through Jesus in our city, it's going to require us to be bold. And we need to be bold with our prayers. We need to be bold with our invitation. We need to be bold with our serving and the way that we serve the church. We need to be bold with our, with our giving, with our generosity, with an audacious generosity here at the church. We need to be bold in the middle, when we feel like we're stuck, you know, Ethan came and preached this wonderful sermon for his part of his contribution to the Be Bold series, that when we're not sure what the future holds, that in, the, that in that place we need to be bold, that we need to have an everyday boldness, right? When we're just going through the day-to-day motions, the mundane things of life, that there's still a boldness that we should carry with us. And, you know, that's the story of the early church. That's the story of the church as you read through the book of Acts, that Jesus has. He's commissioned the disciples to go out to make disciples of all people, to be his witness to the world, to bring this message of the gospel to all peoples in in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's going to require boldness from the church, the same way that it required boldness from the apostles then. You know, they experienced these, these mobs and, and murderous plots against them, that they were constantly before trials and under tribulation and brought before the authorities. And they had to be bold because they were under constant persecution. And it was for this reason. It was because they had a bold message. Yeah. The early church had a bold message, and they were bold in the proclamation of that message. They were bold in sharing the gospel and the truth is redemption that if we want to continue growing, if we want our church to grow, if we want to continue to see an impact happen in the city of Beaumont and beyond, then we have to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. That it hasn't changed. The message has not changed for the apostles to now. And it can't just be one person. That's the thing. It can't just be one person passionate about sharing the gospel, but rather it needs to be an entire community of people who are passionate about sharing the gospel, that church growth and, and life change, it's going to require a culture that is built on being passionate about sharing the gospel. 
It's going to be about a people that are passionate about the message of Jesus. It's not going to depend on projects and on on programs, but passionate people who want to share the message of Jesus, who want to see the city transformed. And that's what you see when you're bold. You see lives change. You see cities change. And as you read the story of Acts, we're going to see over and over again that when the disciples are bold in their proclamation of the gospel, that God responds. He he responds to this message. He responds to this proclamation. He responds to the prayers of his people, and he adds to the church. We see it all throughout the book of Acts, Acts that God added to their number daily, and that as many were appointed to salvation, believed. That when we are bold, God responds. And this proclamation, it requires boldness, and it's going to require power, because sometimes you will face persecution against this message. Sometimes there will be suffering because of this message. And so my question to you this morning, Redemption, is have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were apprehensive or you were timid or you were afraid or anxious or worried about sharing your faith with another person or with a group of people? Have you ever found yourself in one of those moments? You know, maybe it was because you, you didn't want them to think differently about you. Maybe you were, you were worried you might be mocked or belittled or made fun of because you were a Christian Maybe it was because you were with someone else and you didn't want their friends to find out that you were a Christian for, because of your friend. Like you didn't want to embarrass them if the people you were with found out that you're a believer. They don't want, you didn't want them to think you were a, a bigot. So have you ever been there where you were you worried or you were anxious about sharing your faith? Have you ever compromised your beliefs or your convictions because of persecution or because it might cost you something? Maybe a relationship, maybe a job opportunity. And so you were hesitant to live out your conviction. You know, if you consider our our cultural climate that we're in right now, you know, Christianity is not exactly winning religious popularity across the globe. You know, just in the first 200 days of this year alone, the first 200 days of 2021, almost 3,500 Christians have been murdered just in Nigeria alone. It's bordering on genocide at this point. That every day there are 13 Christians killed worldwide because of their faith. That every day 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned and five are abducted. That there are 309 million Christians living in places right now that are considered to be under very high or extreme levels of persecution. That there are 50 countries in our world now, that's up from 45 countries last year that would be qualified as very high when it comes to the level of persecution against the church. And, you know, I'm thankful that, of course, the situation here in the United States, it's not as dire as it is in some of these other countries, that we still have some semblance of, you know, religious liberty still available to us. But that doesn't mean that there's not challenges or persecution faced here where we live. We can't fall into this trap of thinking that because we're not being murdered for our faith that we're not under persecution as well. There's been Christians kicked out of graduate school programs who have lost their rights to be foster parents, who have been forced to shut down adoption centers, who have lost their status as college campus organizations, small business owners having to close their doors, educators losing their teaching positions, all because they would not compromise their convictions. They would not compromise their faith. And so sharing the gospel in our climate, it's going to require boldness. And I know we have fears. We have anxieties when it comes to this. And that's okay. 
We're going to see this morning, we're going to look at the story of Peter and John in front of the Jewish council. You know, this is the same Peter that, you know, just a few weeks ago from the story that we're going to read, was afraid to confess his faith in Jesus to a little girl around a campfire. It's the same Peter. But now, the Peter that we see, something has changed. There's a boldness. There's something different about Peter. And I want you to know this morning that the the same boldness, the same power that was available to Peter then is available to us now so that we can have the same bold proclamation of the same bold message that Peter and the rest of the disciples shared. And so there's three main points, three things that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at, number one, that the disciples, they have a bold message that they are sharing. Number two, we'll see that they are bold in their proclamation of that message, that they don't hold back. And then lastly, we're going to see the response, a bold response from the disciples in the face of suffering and in the face of persecution. So that we can be encouraged, so that we can be inspired to have that same boldness that the early church held. And so let's look at Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 all the way through 31. All right, there's a lot of slides. There's over 60 slides. (laughs) They're mostly just verses. You'll get to lunch. You'll beat the Baptist to Chili's. It'll be fine. It'll still be shorter than a normal sermon from Pastor Byron. But there are a lot of slides, and so we're not going to read the verse up front. We're just going to look at this story together as we walk through this text. And my prayer is that you would just be encouraged to be bold this morning, Redemption. So the first thing that we're going to see here, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, is a bold message. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. So let me set up the story for you really briefly. So if you go back to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple. And as they approach the temple, they come to the gate beautiful. This is the gate leading into the temple court. And they see a man who is crippled, and he's sitting by the gate, and he's asking for alms. He's, re- he's requesting money. And it's this, it says later that this man is over 40 years of age. So it means that he's, he's been there for a while. Like he, He's familiar with the people, uh, the, Jeru- the Jewish people, as, as they visit the temple. And so he asked Peter and John for money. But instead of giving them money, they heal him, right? They perform this miracle. They say, look, I don't have any money, which they probably didn't. We don't have any money, but I tell you what, how about you just in the name of Jesus get up and walk? How how, how will that do? And so he does, and he gets up, and he's fully restored to full health and full capability. And he's excited. He's jumping up and down. He's running. He's, I don't know, you know, exciting things you can do when you can start walking again. He did a backflip. He's following them into the temple, continuing to praise and to shout and to give glory to God for this miracle that has taken place. And so as they go into the temple, this man is with Peter and John. And the people who are in the temple, they, they notice something is happening, right? Like they see this man and they're like, okay, wait a second. Like that's just a few minutes ago, that guy was outside and he was crippled. Now he's healed. Something strange has happened. Like something, something is going on. And so Peter, he, he recognizes this, like he realizes around him the surprise of all of these people who recognize that this miracle had taken place. And Peter's response to this is to preach. His response is to begin to preach this bold message. And so he begins to share the gospel story of Jesus's death, of Jesus's resurrection. And he calls his brothers, his Jewish brothers, he calls them to repentance. He calls them to put their faith in Jesus and the religious leaders, the, the Sadducees and the elders, they, they hear what's going on. They hear this commotion in the temple, and they enter the picture, and they're upset because Peter's preaching the resurrection. 
And so we have to understand a little bit about the context here and who these people are, right? The Sadducees, it says that the Sadducees uh, were annoyed because of this teaching. So the Sadducees, you, you think of them as like the religious liberals of their time period. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the spiritual realm or demons. They believed that when the body died, the soul died. And they, of course, because of that, did not believe in a resurrection. And so when they hear Peter is teaching about this resurrection from the dead, they're, they're frustrated and they're angered about what he's talking about. And then the other people who are there as well, the people, the other members of this council, they're frustrated and they're angry because they're stirring up this commotion. There's, there's civil unrest now. There's this social disruption that is taking place because of their teaching. And so you see, this is the, this is the same religious establishment that had just murdered Jesus just weeks prior. And they thought that they had put an end to this. That they thought that when they killed Jesus, that this was over. But we know that it wasn't over. Amen. Yeah. And so they're angry and they're upset. But Peter and John, look, they're not concerned about the theological beliefs of the Sadducees. They're not concerned about the political unrest and the social disruption that they might be causing because they're preaching Jesus. They're concerned with one thing, and that's sharing a bold message. They're concerned with sharing the truth of the gospel. Their concern is not whether or not they're going to stir up a commotion. Their concern is that everyone there knows that there is a Christ who was crucified and who is risen. They want to share a bold message about Jesus, because this was the command that was given to them, right? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, it says that they were going to be filled with power by the Holy Spirit to be what? To be witnesses to all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Matthew, at the end, you know, we, we pray the Great Commission on, on Sundays, right, over, over the church, that we have this command to go out and to make disciples. That command was given to the, to the disciples first, to go out and to make disciples and to baptize and to teach them to obey and follow the commandments of Jesus. And so they have this, this, they're compelled to go out and to share this bold message from Jesus himself. And so they don't have a choice, and they're not, they're not sharing rules or regulations. This is something that I think there, there's a method here that I think is important for us to grasp as we read this as well, that they're not just going out and sharing rules and saying you have to do this and you have to do that, and if you can clean everything up, then just maybe you can make your way into the kingdom of heaven. That's not, their sh- that's not what they're sharing. That's not a bold message. The bold message is a message of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the life change that's available through that. That is the bold message. And so that's our message. That's the same bold message that we share, not one of rules and regulations, but one of a risen Savior who can provide life change. And so they're there and they're in, in the temple and they're preaching this bold message and it's shaking up the world that they're living in. But what we'll see is that it costs them something by sharing this message. It costs them something. As we keep reading in verse three, it says, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So the Sanhedrin, uh, this is the Jewish high court, they met in the mornings, and because it's now evening time, like it's too late in the day for them to hold this council to, you know, bring them in front of the rest of the religious leaders and elders, they put them in prison so that they can speak with them in the morning and have more time to deliberate about, you know, what are are we going to do with these men, what are we going to do with this message that they're preaching. And so we need to acknowledge something here, and the fact is this, that there might be real consequences to preaching the gospel, when you're bold in sharing this message, there may be real consequences that you can face because you did so. And we have to acknowledge that. But here's what we also see is that even though John and Peter were imprisoned for the word of God and preaching, 
that word that they preached continued to do work while they were in prison. Verse 4 says that in many of those who heard, they believed. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says this. He says, I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. Something that we need to understand and recognize is don't be frustrated. Don't be discouraged when you share your faith with somebody and you don't feel like you're seeing a result. You don't feel like anything has happened. Nothing changed. You might just be the one who planted. Or maybe you're just the one who, who watered the seed that someone else planted. But ultimately, the truth is this, is that God is going to be the one who gives the growth. So if you don't see the response that you expected, if you don't see things happening as fast as, as you want to see them, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop teaching. Don't stop sharing your faith. But rather, just continue to pray and ask the Lord to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to be the one to give the growth. So they, they preached. They got put in prison. But God's word continued to work. And it says the number grew to be 5,000. So they're preaching. And we're going to see that this bold message is now going to become a bold proclamation. So as we keep reading in verse 5, it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is a, a, an important list of people here. This is a very interesting group of characters here that is calling Peter and John before them. So the Sanhedrin, they've gathered together now and they're, and they're beginning to question Peter and John about the events. And so just imagine the scene here for a moment, right? Like I said a second ago, it's just a few weeks prior that Jesus was arrested, tried, and murdered. All right, this, is, this has all happened in, in just a few weeks before this scene that we're reading here. And it says in verse 7 that when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? So we have the, the council here, the Jewish council, and Peter and, and John are in the middle, and they're being interrogated. And they say, who gave men like you, that's what, that's what this means here, when it says, uh, who gave, by what power did you do this? It's, it's, this is an accusation. They're basically saying, like, you're unlearned, you're uneducated, you're fishermen. Like, who gave you the authority to come into our temple and begin to preach and to begin to teach about the resurrection? Like, like who do you think you are coming in here and stirring up this commotion? Who gave you men like you, the authority to heal this man. And so you got to imagine like what Peter must be thinking in this moment, right? Because they were there when Jesus was arrested. They were there for Jesus' trial. They were there when Jesus was murdered. They had just witnessed their master condemned to death in a very similar trial that they are now in just a few weeks ago. So you have to imagine they're thinking to themselves, these people killed Jesus. And here we are preaching a message about Jesus. So what are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to us? And so you have to understand that Peter surely had to be afraid. There surely had to be some anxiety, some worry that he was feeling. This message that he was preaching in the temple now turns out it may actually cost him his life. But I want you to see how Peter responds here. This is very important. Look how Peter answers this charge. Who are you? Who do you think you are coming in here and preaching this message? Who, who do you think you are healing this man? And it says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, they were amazed. And it says that they recognized then that they had been with Jesus. That's a bold proclamation that they make. If you look at the, the language that Peter's using here, and you consider the audience that Peter has, right? These are the, this is the highest ruling authority in the nation of Jerusalem. This is the high priest, Caiaphas. This is the former high priest, Anna. This is the, the Sadducees, right? The religious leaders. This is the, the scribes, it says, are there. These are the, the, the highest, highly trained religious teachers of the day. All the important people, all the people of the highest authority are there. And listen to the language that they use. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified. Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that can save you. And it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. This is a bold proclamation to be using this language in front of the audience that they have. And this is a bold proclamation for us. Think about the exclusivity of this statement that there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven that can save. This is not a popular message in our culture. In a culture that claims, you know, to be tolerant, that claims to be diverse, to say that there is one way, that there is one God, the man Jesus Christ. This is not popular. And it wasn't popular for Peter and John either. And it says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And this is important. It says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yes. Now they know. So you got to think. So beforehand, they just see these two guys in the temple. They're stirring up commotion. And they're like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this and let's figure out what's going on. And then Peter begins to preach. And then they know he was with Jesus. So now imagine how the tables may have turned when it comes to the fear and the worry, the anxiety. They thought that this was over, that they had, that they had stamped out this new religious sect that was you know, trying to turn the world upside down and over, over, you know, power the, the Jewish empire that they thought that they were, the, they were building. And now they find that these disciples are still, are still there. So my question here when I, as I read this is, what was it that empowered Peter, right? Just a few weeks ago, he's, he's afraid to share the gospel with this little girl by the campfire. He's afraid to be even known as someone who associated with the man Jesus. This is just a few weeks ago. But now, here he is in front of the most powerful leaders of the Jewish nation, con condemning them and accusing them of murdering Jesus and sharing the gospel with them. And so I want to give you two places where, where boldness comes from. And there's, there's more than two places, but here in, the, in this passage, in this text, there's two, there's two things that I see here that provide a source of boldness for us as Christians. And the first one is this. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, before he begins to speak, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the first source of boldness that we have available to us as Christians. And something that's interesting here that you recognize is, look, Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He was with the 120. He was in the upper room. He was there on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and those who were gathered together in prayer. But in this moment, he needed 
to be filled for boldness. He needed to be filled with the Spirit of God to have courage to address these men. And that's what boldness is. I want to define it for you. Boldness is this. It is a Spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat. A spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat. Boldness here is not boldness in the sense of, you know, I'm going to take a step out and I'm going to start this new business that I've been wanting. So I'm going to be bold. You know, I'm going to, you know, follow this dream that I've always been pursuing and I've wanted to accomplish. I'm going to step out and I'm going to be bold. Boldness here is about a freedom to speak. It's about having the authority and the freedom to, to speak even though it might cost you something. That's what the word boldness here means. And you know, Jesus told them this. He's told them that they would be persecuted. He told them that they would be imprisoned. He told them that they would be brought before kings and before governors for preaching and for performing miracles in his name. But he also told them this, to not be afraid because he would give them words of wisdom. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say in those moments when you find yourself in, in the face of suffering or in the face of persecution, because I will give you the words to speak. This is Luke chapter 21. And he also says them, I will give you a word that they will not be able to contradict. He's going to give them wisdom in these moments. And Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, he says that you were going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And redemption, we, we need to realize that as a church, look, we are not called to be witnesses in ideal conditions. We are, we are not called to be witnesses in ideal conditions, that we live in an age that is characterized by war and rumor of war, an age characterized by disease, an age characterized by political upheaval, that there's, there's going to be opposition to the gospel now, just as there was opposition to the gospel for the disciples then. And you're going to need power. You're going to need yeah. power to be bold in your proclamation. So when you, when you find yourself in these moments where you're, where you're anxious or you're fearful or you're timid about sharing your faith, you need to stop, you need to take a moment, and you need to pray. You need to say, you need to just be honest with God and say, hey, look, I'm not feeling very bold right now. I'm scared. I'm not sure what's going to happen if I do this, but God, I know this is what I'm called to do. I know this is what I'm commanded to do. I know that the only thing standing between me and the person in front of me experiencing life change through Jesus is this message of the good news of Jesus. So God, help me to be bold. Fill me with your spirit, with boldness and with courage to proclaim this gospel message. We need to pray. You need to ask the spirit of God to help you be bold, that you would receive the spirit-inspired courage to speak no matter what it's going to cost you. And the other source of boldness that I see here is, is it's our experience. Verse 13, it says that they recognized at that moment that they had been with Jesus. Right, they say these these uncon or these, these common men, these uneducated men. How how do they have so much knowledge of the scriptures? How were they able to perform this miracle for this man who was crippled? How how did they do this? But they noticed, they recognized, they had been with Jesus. You got to remember, they, they've spent the last three and a half years of their lives walking with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him heal the leper. They saw him feed the multitudes. They heard him teach and preach on the Sermon on the Mount. They had Jesus pulling them aside when he would speak to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they wouldn't understand, and he would, he would pull the disciples back, and he would say, hey, let me, let me explain this to you. Let me help you understand and interpret this Old Testament text for you so that you, you understand what this really means. 
because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they missed it, right? But Jesus took them to the side and he explained and interpreted the scriptures for them. They had experience. They had been with Jesus. They saw him heal and love and have compassion on people. Their ears were open to, to understand. Think about this. They saw the resurrected Christ. Like they, they saw Jesus. They saw the empty tomb. They saw Jesus living and walking with them. There was boldness because of the experience that they had had. In redemption, you need to understand something. that If you are a Christian, then God has done an amazing work in your life. That you are not the same person that you were before. That you have experienced life change through Jesus. And that experience that you have, that should be a source of confidence, a source of, of courage when you share the gospel with somebody. Look, tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them how Jesus healed you. Tell them how Jesus took away your depression, your guilt, your shame, your anxiety, your worry. Tell them how Jesus healed your marriage. Tell them how Jesus brought your children back. Tell them your story. Like We have experience with Jesus. Tell them how the gospel's changed you forever, and you'll see God do amazing things in the lives of people around you. Verse 4 again, it says that many who heard the word, they believed in the message. But God will use his word and he will use your testimony to change people's lives. So we need to be bold in our proclamation, knowing that God will respond when we are bold. Verse 14 says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they, got, they have nothing to say to Peter and John. Again, think about this scene. Let's get this picture here for a moment, right? So before the Jewish high council, the way that the room was set up, very similar to maybe how we're set up now, it was more of like a semicircle, like a half circle, right? So it says that the man who was healed was standing beside them. So I kind of wonder like what he was doing while Peter and, and, and them are preaching. Like he's probably behind them like, yeah, what he said. Exactly, right? He'd just been healed. But he's standing there and there's this semicircle. All the Jewish leaders, the council, they're all around him. And they're, they're sort of in the middle being, dur- during this interrogation, during this deliberation. So you imagine they're all looking and they see Peter and John, but they also see the man who was healed. And so it says that they have nothing to say in opposition. They can't deny it. They can't say, well, you know, that man wasn't really healed. Well, because he's, he's there. He's standing there in the middle of the people. In verse 15, it says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they, say, so they get them to, to step out of the room for a second so they can try to figure out how they're going to handle this situation. They say, what are we, we going to do with these men? What shall we do with these men? For that, a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So remember where this man was healed at. He used to be in front of the temple gates, right? And so who had to go to the temple? Like everybody in Jerusalem, right? So they, they all saw this man who had been there crippled for years. And so they say, what are we going to do with these men? A notable sign has been performed. We can't deny it. Everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's do this. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so Peter and John, they, they haven't committed a crime, right? They haven't, there's nothing that they've done illegal that they can be charged for yet. But at the same time, the, the religious leaders, this religious establishment, they can't deny the miracle that happened. So how are they going to stop this message from spreading? Well, we'll just tell them to stop. We'll just tell them not to tell anybody. We'll just <laughs> stop preaching the gospel. And there really is a tragedy here if you think about the hardness of the hearts of the Jewish leaders. Look, they don't, if you listen to their response, they don't address a single thing that Peter has to say about the gospel. 
They don't address this challenge from the scriptures, from their Old Testament text. The scribes are there. The most trained religious teachers of the time are there in front of John and Peter. And when Peter preaches from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, they don't even address it. They're not concerned about the truth. They're not concerned about what the scripture actually says. All right, Peter says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's the, that's the, the, the passage that he's quoting from Psalms. And he says that you are the builders. You are the ones who have rejected the cornerstone. Jesus, the person who, who you delivered over to death, he has now been exalted to the highest place at the right hand of the Father. But they're more concerned about their power and how they're perceived than they are about the truth of the gospel. Their hearts are hardened to the good news. And so, look, don't be surprised when you encounter people like this. This is not, it's not new for people to not respond to the message of the gospel. It's not something novel for people's hearts to be hardened to the message of the gospel. So don't be discouraged when you're sharing this message and you feel like you're not getting a response. Or if you're persecuted or you suffer because you share this message. It says in verse 18, so they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Remember what I said about experience, right? It says that we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard, right? You have a story that's real, a story that's happened. You have a story of life, of, of life change that you've, you've experienced it. You have to talk about it. You have to tell people about it, right? And when they had further threatened them, so they threatened them more after they respond saying, look, we're going to just go, we're going to continue telling people we're sorry. Uh, and so they threatened them again, and it says they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because remember, they, they, one, they have not done anything wrong or illegal to be truly imprisoned for. But then it also says this, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. They're turning the world upside down. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So basically what they're saying is, look, this guy's been here for a long time. Like he's been in front of the temple gates for years. Jerusalem, the Jewish people, they've been coming through these gates for generations. And they've seen this man, this crippled man begging for alms. And now he's been healed. Everybody knows what happened. And so everybody is praising God for this miracle. And so now the people are, are there, there's this uproar that is happening amongst the people. And so the disciples here, they had to make a choice between pleasing God or pleasing man. And it's, you know, it's interesting to note just to see this difference here between the apostles and between the Jewish leaders. You know, the, the Jewish leaders, they choose their power and they choose prestige, while the apostles choose to, to please God, despite the suffering that they knew that it would bring. Even though they threaten them again, they persist in teaching this message of the gospel. You know, they, they've made it up in their minds who they're going to serve. You know, Paul, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, he writes this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, this is actually later in the book of Acts, what, what Paul is discussing here. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Again, this boldness is about preaching, a boldness in teaching, a boldness in sharing this gospel message. And they did it in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
He's saying, look, God gave me this message. God is the one who changed my life. God is the one who did this work in me. God is the one who's commanded me, who's sent me out to preach and to teach this gospel. And so because he's the one who, who's done it, and he's the one who can test my heart, he's the one, he's the final judge of my life, I, I want to please him. I don't, I don't care about the, this, the, the perception of the people that are, that are around me. I care about pleasing God. And so we should be asking this of ourselves when things become difficult and, and persecution and suffering, they're, they're on the table before us, and we have to choose, are we going to, to do what is please, pleasing to God or are we going to do what is pleasing to man? Are we going to compromise our convictions or are we going to stand firm in our faith? Are we going to shy away from the gospel because you know, it, it, might, it might mean that we suffer loss? It might mean that you know, we might lose a relationship? Are we going to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with boldness so that we can share a bold proclamation of the goodness of God, a message that might change their life forever. And if you haven't been in a position where you've had to make this decision yet, then it's either one of two things. Either one, you haven't been a Christian long enough, or you have not been living your life the way that the disciples live their lives. You either have not been a Christian long enough, or you haven't lived a life of love and compassion and care and concern for the people around you that has brought this persecution upon yourself. You haven't lived... You haven't shared this message yet. You know, we're not quite there yet, but later in our series, we're, you know, we're preaching through the book of Joshua right now. Pastor Brian is bringing us through the book of Joshua. It's a 10-year series that we're, um, <laughs> that we're working our way through. <laughs> that we're working our way through right now. And, and we'll get to chapter 24, and there's a verse, a very popular verse in chapter 24 of Joshua. It's, it's painted on a piece of wood on somebody's house in here. It's, it's inevitable. But it says this, Joshua 24, 15, it says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Right. Somebody's got it on there <laughs> above their door. There's no shame, but you know it's true. But Israel had to make the same decision, right? Are we going to serve the gods of, our, of the ancestors? Are we going to serve the gods of the people in this land that we inhabited? Or are we going to serve the Lord? And they said, our household, we are going to serve the Lord. And so we've seen this bold message that the disciples had. We've seen this bold proclamation that they were willing to make. And last thing we'll see is this, that we're going to see a bold response to suffering and the persecution from the disciples. It says this, moving to verse 23, when they were, when they were released, they went to their friends, this is the, the rest of the church, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. All right, so they go back to the church and they say, hey, look, here's what happened. We were arrested. We were imprisoned. Here's what the elders said. Here's what, here's what the chief priests and the religious leaders said. They told us, hey, you got to stop talking about Jesus. They threatened us. They said, if you, if you don't stop, we'll imprison you again. If you don't stop, you'll be murdered. And so they tell this to the church, and this is how they respond. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The church responds to these threats from the powers that be. They respond with prayer. If you want to be bold, you have to pray. It says, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they see this Old Testament text, this verse 
in Psalms, and they're interpreting this as what happened with Jesus. That the authorities, the kings, the rulers, they set themselves against Jesus and against his, or against the Lord and against his anointed, against Christ. And they say that for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now look, Lord, upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. If you want to be bold, you have to pray. We don't pray for for judgment over the people who persecute us. You know, Jesus actually tells us the opposite. You you read the Sermon on the Mount, which Peter would have been there for. He would have been there for that sermon. We don't pray for, you know, for judgment for those who persecute us, but instead it says that to love our enemies and pray for the people who persecute you, that we actually pray for those people. And they also don't pray to avoid persecution. That's not what their prayer is. Their prayer is not judgment on the people persecuting them, and their prayer is not to avoid the suffering or avoid the persecution. Their prayer is for strength, for encouragement, for boldness, because they're going to keep preaching the gospel. And they know that if they're going to continue to do that in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, in the face of trials, they're going to need boldness. They're going to need strength. They're going to need courage to continue preaching this message. And so they pray for strength and for boldness. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12. It says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but after that can do nothing. He says, instead, you should fear God who can kill the body and also the soul. And look, for you, for us, I mean, the reality is, and I'm thankful for this, that it's it's not going to be fear of death, most likely, not here. But look, just just fill in the blank with whatever it is. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, just fill in the blank. Whatever it is from keep, that's keeping you from sharing the gospel with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or a stranger. Are you afraid that they're going to think you're weird? You're weird. It has nothing to do with you being a Christian. Like, you're just weird. Right? It, it's not that. Do you think it might cost you a, a relationship? Are you afraid that, you, that that relationship might be strained or fractured? Is it your reputation might be on the line? Don't fear those things. Don't be fearful. Jesus says that God has not forgotten the five sparrows that cost two pennies. How much more valuable are you than sparrows? He says that the hairs on your head are numbered. Some of y'all making it too easy on them. I'm just saying. The hairs on your back are numbered. He says, fear not because you are valuable to God. You're valuable to him and he cares for you. So there's no reason that you should be afraid. He will provide everything that you need. And so they recite this passage in in, in Psalms chapter 2. And this is what they do. They recognize the sovereignty of God over what transpired with Jesus and his death and resurrection. They're proclaiming back to God. They're saying, God, you're in control. You are sovereign over these events that took place. And if you're in control, if you're orchestrating all of this, then we have nothing to be afraid of. You have a plan. You're in control. And so we just pray for courage and boldness because we're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep teaching the gospel. And so are are, are we praying like this? Are we praying the way that the disciples prayed? We should be praying for courage, not for comfort. 
That's what the early church prayed for. They prayed for the ability to continue speaking the word of God with a boldness, to, com- to continue preaching the gospel because the gospel, that's the hope of the world. People are looking for hope in everything else. Hope is found in the message of the gospel. Hope is found in Jesus. There's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter told them. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They pray and God responds. God shows up. He responds powerfully. He answers the prayer of his people. Did you know that God answers prayer? Some of you know that God answers prayer. You have experience where God has answered prayer. That experience should be courage for you to share, your, to share the gospel. Acts chapter 6, it kind of it bookends this passage, right? And as you go through the story of Acts, Luke has a very um, consistent way of writing the book of Acts, which if you didn't know Luke, the author of the gospel of Luke, he's the author of Acts as well. And you'll see this theme in the book of Acts where he'll tell this story and then he'll kind of summarize what happened and then he'll let you know, you know, how things ended up, so to speak. And so chapter 6 sort of bookends this particular section, this passage, this, this part of scripture for the book of Acts. And so at the end of this section, it says this, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. The apostles, they boldly proclaimed this bold message. And as the gospel increased, life change increased right alongside it. And I think it's interesting here that they include that it says that a great many priests became obedient to the faith. You've got to remember the, the people that Peter and John were in front of, right? They were preaching to the council, the Jewish high council, right? All the most important religious leaders of their time. And some of them became obedient to the faith. Peter and John, they were unlearned, uneducated, common men. The gospel was for them, for the blue collar. It was for them. The the government leaders, the powerful officials, those with authority, the white collars, right? The gospel's for them. They weren't afraid to share the gospel. They They didn't care who the audience was. They didn't care what their background was. They didn't care how they were raised up or how much money was in their bank account. They cared that there was a message of life change available to everyone, and they shared it. And it says a great many priests became obedient to the faith. You never know who's going to respond to this message. God gave growth to people who you would have least expected. And so the, the, the apostles, they proclaim this message. Life change is increasing. The church is growing. And look, this can be, hear me on this, this can be the story of Redemption Church. If we will be a, a people full of courage, a people who are willing to be bold in proclamation, a people who are not worried about persecution, a people who are not afraid to share the gospel, we're not worried about the suffering that it might bring, then we might be able to see God do something amazing here in our church. We might be able to see something amazing happen in the city of Beaumont if we would be bold with our proclamation. And I know there's not a, there's not a lot of application in my message this morning. There wasn't intended to be. My, my intention this morning is just this. I just want to encourage you. I just want to inspire you to be bold. I just want to stir up courage in your hearts this morning. 
And the truth is this, there are very likely people here this morning who feel much closer to Peter by the fire than Peter in front of the council. And that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with being there. But I would just say this, don't stay there. The fire's warm, it's comfortable. Don't stay by the fire. Get in front of the council. Pray for boldness. You've got a story of life changing your heart to share with somebody. So pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that opportunity will come. God will give you that opportunity. There's people here who know that as well. When you say, Lord, give me somebody to share the gospel with today. Put that person in front of me. And then he puts them there. And they're like, oh, here we go. All right. (laughs) Didn't think you were listening. (laughs) When that opportunity is there, I want you to have the courage to follow your conviction. I want you to have the boldness to proclaim the gospel. So that's my prayer for us this morning, Redemption. Let's close out.